There are so many different challenges that uh, blended families face, but certainly one of the more unique challenges that they have to deal with is winning the approval of the spouse's children. Uh, that's an awkward situation. You might know somebody dealing with that. If so, lean in. We've got some hope. I'm John Fuller, joined by Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. Uh, they lead the Focus Marriage team here. And previously, Jim Daly and I sat down with Dr. Gary Chapman. Uh, he discussed how the use of love languages to understand dynamics in a blended family is really important. Here's more from that conversation, which included Ron Deal, an expert on the topic of blended families. Gary just laid out this incredible thought and idea, and this concept is so powerful. But it's all predicated on the notion that the person you're trying to love actually wants you to love them that way. I mean, think about it. Yeah. Of course your wife wants you to know her love language and speak that. And when you do, she feels the, the weight of your love and the tenderness of your love, and it communicates. But what if she doesn't want that? We translate that into a blended family where the relationships are ambiguous. Uh, there's different motivations to love. As Gary said a little while ago, a stepchild loves their stepparent, but that doesn't mean I want you to hug me. Mm. You know, my love language is physical touch, but that doesn't mean you can hug me. We all know this intuitively, Jim. It's same thing's true in friendships um, or new new work relationships. You have friends that you don't necessarily hug, but you have other friends. I don't you have do any hug. friends. Okay. Well, that's <laughs> Maybe if you started hugging people, you would. <laughs> that's another problem we need to address. Right. But you know, we all get this. There's certain people that you you could give them a gift, but you wouldn't give them an intimate gift. We we understand this. The same thing applies in blended. When you apply the love languages with the wisdom that there's certain measures of the love language that's appropriate at this point in time, and somewhere down the road as the crock pot continues to cook, then I can love you more deeply with this love language. All of a sudden, it's transformative. But if you get it wrong, it can really backfire. Well, let me, let me push on that a little bit because I was about to ask Gary a question that you kind of answered in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. And what I was going to say is that formula, you know, it'd be good for a step parent then to really zero in on the love language of that child and then begin to apply that. If it's words of affirmation, then you begin to apply that. What I hear Ron saying is there may be several filters there where that exchange doesn't go the way you'd hope for. But what do you do as that parent? Let's say that step parent does his or her homework and she knows little Maria or little Johnny uh, how they're thinking and what motivates their love heart, and but they're not getting the response. What, do you just yeah. keep going? Well, you know, this is exactly why, as Ron said, I wanted to team up with Ron on this because they would sit in my office, a couple who had stepchildren, and they would say, you know, we read your book on love languages, and I learned Johnny's love language, and I knew his father told me that's what it was. And so I just started to hug him, and he pushed me away. Right. It doesn't seem to be working with stepchildren. Mm. And this is why I said, hey, Ron, how about what have you found out? Because you know? he's been working in this field for a long time. Yeah. And that's why we teamed up on this. And, of course, the basic concept uh, Ron alluded to there is that within each of the love languages, there are different levels of intimacy in those love languages. And with physical touch, a hug is really intimate. Mm -hmm. And so you may have to start back with fist bumps, you know, or right. a little tap on the shoulder. And that may need to go on for several months. It may be a year before they will receive a hug. And it's not because they hate you. It's all these other things that we're talking about behind the scenes. They're not quite ready for that mm -hmm. yet. 
That's one application. Another application of applying the love languages with wisdom is to simply start with the ones that are universal. I mean, think about the love languages. If I gave John a gift today, I bet he'd take it. You know, he doesn't even have to like me, and he would take my gift. Hmm. Probably. <laughs> I like right, it. as long as it's not ticking. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, you can walk up to a stranger and hand him five bucks, and they'll go, well, well thank you. I'm not sure what this means. but uh, So gifts are an easy. Acts of service are an easy, right? The hard ones are quality time and physical touch. That really take from you. They do, and they require more intimate connection or communication. And so... Start with what you can do. It may not be your stepchild's primary love language. Acts of service may not be. But they'll probably enjoy and appreciate the fact you do something for them. Aaron, you do so much marriage counseling. What are some of the ways that you've encouraged those who are kind of getting ready to become a blended family to have patience as everybody tries Mm -hmm. to get along? Mm-hmm. So many times couples will come in and they'll be so discouraged and it's not happening. And, you know, thus it's impacting us as a couple. And often I will say, so do you guys, have you heard the the timeline um, of setting a realistic expectation of how long it's going to take for this family to blend? And sometimes they're hoping for a whole lot better. A six lo- weeks. Whole, yeah, six weeks. <laughs> sure. Um, it's, the research actually says that it takes three to five years wow. um, for successful blended family integration. And it takes seven years for intimate, authentic step relationships, step family relationships. And so then if you add in, you know, well, we got off track here and this wasn't handled well, it, that even might delay it. So it's just looking at, we have to have realistic expectations. Uh, you know, we're going to take this slow and we're going to take this soft and in ways that feel safe. Yeah. Because when people feel safe, hearts are open. And I love that. And that's actually what I was thinking about is that for blended families, it's usually because it was born out of a loss. And so you've got a lot of wounded, hurt people, family members coming together. And therefore, I think of all the things to focus on, how do we create a new family that feels like the safest place on earth? As these this couple, that's a big part of what we'd encourage them to talk about. What, what would what is that going to look like? So if, if we're focused on creating a safe place, how are we then handling discipline? How are we handling, you know, just relationships um, in a way that, that's, that's the right sort of expectation? But actually talking and thinking about this idea of creating a place that feels safe because, as Aaron said, when people feel safe, their hearts open. Yeah. I would go, if, man, if you only have time for one goal, create a relationship that feels safe. Mm-hmm. And, and that means sitting down with each person and, and maybe at some point really talking about what, what would feel safe here. And I think the more that that happens, the more likely that hearts are going to open and, and thus that, that what do you say, three to five to seven years mm-hmm. um, can, can really form. And I get it. So often when we read statistics like that, we're like three, five, seven years we like to go, oh, but our situation is different and we've done things differently. I know when we adopted, we read all about, you know, the things that could happen and on and on. And we we're like, oh, it's going to go different for us. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having that hope. But then it's also in the back of your mind being realistic about what they find in the research mm-hmm. as far as experiences of other people who are doing and experiencing what you are. Yeah. And so have hope. 
And but then also focus on creating the safest place you can for each family member involved, including your spouse. And so a safe place for your marriage to talk about the hard things, the good things, you know, anything. Yeah. Boy, I just think of mileposts. And if you've got a first or second grader and you're a, a newly blended family, that child will be in middle school or maybe even starting high school before you really get to that safe place, that that real intimate place as a family, just based on the mm-hmm. statistics. If you've got a high schooler, they're going to be a young adult. Right. So that yeah. this is a long haul. You can have high hopes and high expectations, but uh, just keeping that kind of perspective is so vital. We want to encourage you in whatever kind of family structure you're dealing uh, with life right now. We have so many different resources on our website. We have a lot for blended families. In fact, uh, the book by Ron Deal and Gary Chapman is filled with practical advice, biblical advice. It is a terrific resource. Um, We're making that available when you contribute to the work of Focus on the Family. We're listener-supported. We would love your participation as we make these podcasts and these resources available to families. Um, Donate today, and we'll send that book to you. We also have an additional number of free articles and resources on the website. The links are in the show notes. More on this topic next time. And for now, on behalf of the Smalleys and the entire team, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening to the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast.